The may be wonders of agricultural biotechnology. The Nigerian Rice Bond. Saturday, the 12th of November, 2022, was the wedding ceremony of the daughter of my late mother's distant relative, and they had called me to attend, I did not know these people. I stared at my phone for long, painful minutes after the call, brooding over thoughts of an upcoming deadline two days later for one of my stories exploring Nigeria's disastrous floods and the depletion of thousands of rice farmlands. That Saturday, I needed to work. Before the call and any introductions to conversations about the wedding, my only knowledge of their existence was the intermittent, boring broadcast messages the relative would send to my mother, inviting her to stop by their new family-owned home in one of Nigeria's southeastern states to eat rice. In the very broad vocabulary of Nigerian lingo, stopping to eat rice is not a literal statement. Sometimes it's an invitation to luxuriate in the hospitality of a warm welcome, other times to enjoy assorted delicacies, in all, you know they're inviting you for a good time. She was inviting us for a good time. In the context of convivial invites, only one food has the power to convey such varied interpretations of warmth and hospitality, rice. I did attend that wedding. Why miss a free pass at reveling in food, especially if the person hosting is a chef or affluent? Both are nearly the same these days based on their proximity to well-cooked rice. Rice and beef stew, jollof rice, rice and beans, as jollof or with stew, rice and soup, rice and sauce, rice and literally anything. The Nigerian idea of rice is expansive, so ubiquitous that it could be molded into balls and fried, blended into a paste and eaten as a staple, ground into flour and baked, or mashed and made into pancakes. How do you like it? It'll be served shortly, with petal-shaped hanging lights swinging gently from their holders, and gold chairs drawn back with stealth by well-to-do Nigerians, this event hosted the community's most influential and you just knew they would serve good rice. Soon enough, servers started to move around with trays of food plates. Raising hopes and lighting faces. I caught the scent of bitter leaf soup and the warmth of half-boiled spinach leaves in vegetable soup, and even fresh off the grilled chicken a while later for a different section of guests, but no rice. I could hear murmurs already, saw necks craned in not-so-subtle attempts at finding the rice, craned even my own, this was the insatiable mind or appetite of the Nigerian middle class who had drawn a perfect Venn diagram encompassing their presence, this wedding, and the availability of rice. The floods. There wasn't any rice. There would be no rice. We watched as my relative took a mic, stood in front of the large gathering, and began to speak. The floods destroyed my husband's rice farm in the village, she said, glancing warily to her side and taking a deep breath before continuing. You know this family, we don't treat people anyhow. The rice our farmers planted this year was one of the best in Anambra, but everything was destroyed by the floods. Anumaro to Miri see me. Her last statement in Igbo, a popular language in southeastern Nigeria, was meant to elicit sympathy from her guests in an assumption that they had collectively heard of the floods. As she makes to hand the mic back to the MC, she adds a disgruntled baikonu, gota, meaning, please, understand. I did understand, particularly more than everyone because the floods were truly disastrous in places like Anambra. That was my mother's, and this relative's, birth town. I had also just recently been speaking to a source from another affected state, Niger, for that story I was working on, about the impact of 2022's floods on rice production. Her account of its direct impact on her family was heart-wrenching. My article only interviewed small-scale, local farmers with a lower income, but now in a wedding, a middle-class, considerably well-off family, was proclaiming they were also gravely affected by it. That's about the context needed to understand Nigeria's food-insecure future. In this country, when the affluent mourn with the poor, the problem is out of bounds. The floods were extreme, lethal, they were the most gruesome in a decade, coming prepared with all the force of human activities in the West and our government's refusal to build strong dams despite the availability of funding. My relative's farm, which I did not know much of, and which may have been a major source of income for them, had become a statistic on account of the enormous loss last year during the floods. Like thousands of others, reporting recorded that farmland submergence had covered over 4,500 hectares or more by December last year. The wedding guests pushed back the local meals they were served, rejecting them quietly, they weren't rice. 
It was impossible to miss the grimace that covered their facial features, like a wet cloth on skin, like paint on canvas. There was one obvious reason for this, they were underestimating the inaccessibility of rice because of how commonly distributed it is. I left the venue thinking about the possible death of rice production and its current dearth. With thousands of years of rice production in the region, Nigeria has become the major rice producer and exporter in Africa, and yet. I mean, even the biggest rice farm in Africa by any metric, Olam, took a big hit from the floods. What if rice eventually goes extinct? Climate change is doing too much and scientists predict that it will only get worse. Especially in Africa, Olam, situated on the outskirts of one of the northern states, and being Nigeria's main source of rice exportation, people used to talk about it and its promises in a way that idolized it. It was owned by a big company that planned and proposed an agricultural revolution in Nigeria which had started with rice. But by October, about $15 million in rice crop and equipment were lost to the floods. Olam would have to start afresh. Talking to Chef Abubu, who has cooked for hundreds of events like my relative's wedding, I hear a grave warning about the effect this is having, the price of rice has skyrocketed so much that soon, people would begin to notice a significant nutritional decline. Like a slow but deadly poison, climate change is catching up with us, destroying farmlands here, sending families into abject poverty there, and straining the cost of agriculture everywhere. There may be possibilities of GM rice. It's becoming hard to see a food-secure future for Nigeria, as it takes steady, seemingly calculated strides towards insecurity. Thanks to the floundering of our government and climate change, the opening of the Lordo Dam which was a leading cause of Nigeria's flooding woes last year, will reoccur this year, and in a few weeks, the major food-producing states will once again, be cast into damnation. This is despite an assurance from our highly inept governing body that there wouldn't be a repeat. It's hard to say we're not doomed to repeat this cycle. But, solutions exist, and there are a couple we could implement in the near future to save rice from climate-related ruins and prevent it from becoming a luxury item. For starters, the government could look to begin the construction of a protective dam that would take in overflowing water from the Lordo, as was agreed in 1980. However, this would only curb so much of the impact, as the intensifying rains in Nigeria cook up a storm of their own. It would not have so much influence on the problem's mitigation if we're factoring in time, population growth, and effect. The one thing that might actively tackle the impact of climate change on rice production more than anything, is a solution that involves food technology, and one that Nigerians have a history of distrust for. It is the proposed popularization of flood-tolerant and climate-resilient genetically modified GM rice amongst farmers. Dr. Rose Godardo, the director of the National Agricultural and Biotechnology Development Agency NABDA, told me this when we spoke in a 15-minute call. GM rice is what Nigeria needs to protect her food future and it's what we're working on. It's the same as any other rice, safe, and will be able to resist climate change. Her words were so certain, almost making me hope, but then I thought about its 2016 reception or rejection and frowned a little. Those beliefs don't just fade. Before the revelations of climate change's effect on rice production, NABDA had simply wanted to create a healthier variant of the food crop, but it faced massive protests. It felt like they were legalizing a sin against humanity, and the people and their rice bond would have nothing of the sort. Even The Guardian, one of Nigeria's most widely read papers, somewhat implied that biotech foods were dangerous. The pushback was so immense that the government had to debunk any news about it being introduced into the markets. Nigerians can be so rigid with how rice is eaten. At weddings, there should be rice, and if you're serving rice, it must be what they know as rice. It is like a cultural ritual, and not keeping to this ritual in the way that they believe our ancestors did, is considered taboo. Dr. Nimi Bassi, the executive director of the Health of Mother Earth Foundation HOMEF, said in protest of GM foods, many times we think that food is neutral, just something you put in your belly and go. But food is more than that. Food is life and culture. He also insisted that biotech foods are a farmer's enslavement, the agricultural products of colonization. NABDA has continuously tried to dispute HOMEF and Bassi's claims as pseudoscientific and not based on actual research, but Nigerians keep eating them up.
When I spoke to Dr. Godardo about the potential pushback of GM crops in the future, her stance remained unwavering. No, it won't affect it again. I'm certain, she told me, taking occasional pauses to spell out her words. Everyone is becoming aware of climate change and the country's population size is increasing every day. She assured me of NABDA's plans to implement some measures already. What we need are investments to hasten the processes. But, Onya Jennifer, who sells rice bags in bulk quantities in Abuja, disagrees with Dr. Godardo, sharing on-the-ground insights as to why GMO rice could not be popularized before and why it would not be bought in the future. Her perspectives, in a way, explain why Nigeria is in the top six African countries adopting biotech agriculture, but has not signed off on its most endangered and most consumed crop. We spoke through WhatsApp voice notes VN and our talk was light-hearted and warm. Nigerians are very particular about food, especially one rice they've been eating for ages, she said. So calmly, so sure, she had been waiting for my questions for a long time. Anything with a feel outside of the traditional way of eating rice is feared, and if Nigerians are scared, they'll run. She told me, pausing for some minutes before making another VN. GMO rice couldn't even penetrate the market in 2016, it was barely a breeze, and they won't in the future. In her voice, there were intonations succinctly asserting GMO rice's purchasing power or its lack thereof now and in the future. If Nigeria is to protect its food future, Onya thinks the government should equip farmers with the resources to conveniently plan and implement indigenous climate change prevention strategies. They're safer and understand it better, she said, almost insinuating that the lack of education is why agricultural biotechnology shouldn't be explored. But, Dr. Godardo still emphasizes that nothing's impossible with more awareness. People don't know what they're fighting and that's going to change, she said. We're going to actively use the media to change wrong perceptions, she tells me with a voice laced with so much certainty you'd think Nigerians were already warming up to the idea. Our teams are in nooks and crannies to engage the stakeholders like farmers, consumer groups and environmental organizations in the decision-making process. We'll listen to their concerns, address them, and involve them in the development and regulation of biotech rice. Ejadua Lakiyode, an agricultural biotechnologist, gauges Dr. Godardo's sensitization plan warily. It's not just the publicity or the sensitization, for him, transparency matters more. If you're changing a system people have known for so long and have attached strong cultural ties to, the least you can do is come clean. And Chef Abubu co-signs. I don't think we can trust the government to be our source of information on what to eat. In the past, they've lied about the availability of food. I hear the disgust. Ajaduola adds, the success of GMO rice is in the hands of the moral upstanding of the government. If they'll tell the truth to citizens and their truth is actually true, then people may listen. Maybe Dr. Godardo foresaw Ajaduola's and Shefababu's skepticism, or maybe NABDA already has a concrete plan, but she addresses these concerns in her usual straight-to-the-point, concise manner. We're going to implement clear labeling of biotech rice products so that consumers have a choice. We want to respect their right to make informed decisions about what they consume. As climate change worsens and the population expands with fewer materials to produce food, by her foretelling, there will be less contention with NABDA's sensitization program. The plans are already in motion, she told me. It won't be like 2016. Amidst the guarantee that hefty sensitization campaigns would be carried out to make food tech policies inclusive and an affirmation that NABDA wasn't dependent on the government, it was still easy to make out that Dr. Godardo was particularly banking on the change in people's perception of GM rice for the success of its popularization in the future.